1: Hello, and welcome to Masoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journey of female food entrepreneurs. We are glad you've joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce.
0: And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center.
1: Sarah Masoni, last week on our show... Uh, we had Portland Creamery as a guest. And I totally forgot to mention the cheese award that you were presented at the at the Specialty Food Association. And I posted a picture of you today on our Instagram of you and your big cheese medal. Will you tell people what that medal
0: was? Well, actually, I was inducted into the um, International Guild of Cheese People. It's Uh, originated in france and actually i was um inducted last uh july at the american cheese society meeting here in portland but the medals got stuck in all of the hubbub in the airports and so david gremmels from rogue creamery had been over in spain and he took all of the medals that were stuck in france for a year to the fancy food show and then all the people that were at the fancy food show who hadn't gotten their medals got their medals last week he's like a trophy rescuer <laughs> yes, he had a special <laughs> duffel bag and then he you know gave me my medal and shook my hand and all that stuff well, it was I great that. wearing that medal at the show because everyone stopped and talked to me
1: yeah totally it's a big deal yeah,
0: it is super cool.
1: That's so cool. Well, congratulations. And I will try to put the correct information on um our Instagram because I was just like, yay, my friend won a medal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like uh, having a bulletproof vest. Yeah, it's huge. Is it heavy? I think it probably weighs five, six ounces. So yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. heavy.
1: Heavy for jewelry. <laughs> Well, that's so cool. Um, well, I wanted to announce, we just uh, finished the scholarship application for, this oh. year, um, for our listeners. Uh, the Portland chapter of LADAMS that I am um, the scholarship chair on. We're going to sponsor uh, another maker to come to the Fancy Food Show with Sarah with the Food Innovation Center. So um, there is an application. There's a call for applicants. So if people want to get that application, they can contact me or Sarah will send it your way. Um, But yeah, people, please apply. We're going to send someone along with Sarah. And then with that, um, we'll pay for your booth and then also we'll provide mentorship. So it's really great for people if it's your first food show or you haven't done one before. Uh, We have this great group of Um, women in culinary arts so we have people that are in media that can help you with a press release we have people that can help you write recipes there's lots of cookbook authors on the um in the group so we hope that people apply that would be great and there Mm -hmm. um, the food innovation center will send out the application as well yeah get it there and uh, we want to thank our sponsor for supporting Masonia Marshall. Thank you for helping us to spread the word about small women entrepreneurs. Let's hear a, weir- a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice.
0: Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local entrepreneurs. So much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores our passion is to help local makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice.
1: We would like to introduce you to our guest today. We Woo-hoo. have Lisa Hall here with us. Lisa is the Executive Director of the Montevilla Farmer's Market here in Portland. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's so great to have you. And we like our listeners to be able to follow along um, on your Instagram or internet journey. So it doesn't have to be your personal account unless you want it to be, but um, where can people find you in the world?
2: Yeah. So Montevilla Farmers Market on Instagram and Facebook, it's just at Montevilla Market. And then our website is also montevillamarket.org.
1: Perfect. We will link that in. And, um, Well, let's start at the beginning. So generally, you know, you're a little bit different guest than what we normally have because we usually have people that have their own business, but you are a very important part of um, all these makers that have, we've had a lot of people on the show that um, are part of your farmer's market. So I just wanted a little backstory about the Montevilla farmer's market, if you have it. So like how long it's been around, where it is, those kinds of basics for our listeners.
2: Yeah. So the market was created in 2007. I think it was like July 22nd, 2007 was its first market. And it was a group of community members along with the business association decided to get together and raise some money and open a market. Uh, It is currently at uh, 7700 Southeast Stark Street, which is the same location as uh, it started in 2007. uh, And that's in Southeast Portland.
1: Perfect. And um, so we know when the market started, but how long have you been the executive director of the
2: Montevilla Market? So executive director, um, about 30 days, oh, <laughs> I, <yeah>. just <laughs> I just started, I just got this title at the beginning of this year. I was hired on as the market manager and that was in October, 2020. So I've only been here a couple years, but um, I do feel a big part of that community and I live in Montevilla, which is really cool. So I, I see folks around uh, town a lot and um, could just kind of be a little more integrated in that community. Perfect.
1: And how many vendors are at your market?
2: So in total, in one year, we'll have almost, what, like 80 to 90 vendors. Um, But on one given Sunday, uh, in peak season, we'll have about 60 to 65. And right now we're in our winter season, which is about 50 vendors per per market.
1: Perfect. And I... um have met you, not at the Montevilla Farmers Market, but at the Portland Farmers Market. And I just want to have you maybe talk a little bit about the difference between the organizations, because I think as vendors, we know that there's a difference, but I think market shoppers have no idea. So um, maybe just talk about Portland Farmers Market, since you worked for them for a while, and, um, and then the difference between that and Montevilla Farmers Market.
2: Yeah, so Portland Farmers Market is one of the larger farmers market organizations in the area. It runs five markets currently. When I first started, um, that was at Northwest Farmers Market, which I think is you were there a couple of times mm-hmm. at least. Um, and so I, at that time, we ran six markets. So it kind of has been ebbing and flowing um, over the last couple of years and Portland Farmers Market most notably runs the PSU Farmers Market, which is uh, definitely the largest in Portland um, and has a different vibe from some of the neighborhood markets because it is so large. And so it attracts a lot of tourists as well as um, just folks really interested in the food system who may not necessarily live right there, uh, where some of the neighborhood markets whether that's Montevilla or King or Kenton, which uh, Portland Farmers Market runs, uh, attracts a lot more of the the neighborhood folks, like folks who are coming there every single week. Um, what's different about the two organizations, I think, um, most notably would be that Portland Farmers Market is – Larger, So it, it just has some more resources uh, and able to do different things um, because it has some of the larger markets. They had um, like Chef in the Market where they would have some famous chefs come and do demonstrations, which is really cool. I got the the run that for a little bit uh, where Monteville Farmers Market or, you know, Woodstock Farmers Market, even Hollywood Farmers Market. We mostly just do our one uh, large community market. So it's just a, a little bit different um, funding wise.
1: Yeah, so then, and it, it seems like shopper-wise, it's like, um, you know, mostly people that live around and would walk to the market would would be who would be at like Montevilla Market, It's, you know, like neighborhood style.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of the folks who live there. I think we did a customer survey, and I'm kind of making this up, but I think it was about 50% of folks said that they walked or rolled to the market um, on mm-hmm. that given day.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. How does somebody get into your market? To sell? Yeah.
2: V- vendor wise. Yeah. So our application is um, just closing right now. It's open for the month of January and folks apply via market spread or farm spread. They can't choose a name, uh, <laughs> which is just our uh, vendor management software. So folks apply on there and then uh, we look at them and depending on what products our market can accept. Uh, We invite folks to do a product jury if they have a value added good. So we kind of taste everything and get to see the packaging and the pricing. Um, And then our group of jurors, which is uh, just community members, chooses who um, should be at the market, depending on on how much space we have. Space is definitely a limiting factor, um, especially for Oregon markets, because in peak season, we have all the stone fruit and the berries, um, which takes up a, a decent amount of space, but tend to have more space in, in winter and the shoulder seasons.
0: One thing that I noticed that's really cool about your market is that you pay close attention to folks from different countries and the types of food that they um, enjoy eating. And I was looking on your website and you have things in multiple languages, which is pretty awesome. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so I think you're referencing our how to use your EBT and match um, in the the farmers market. And we actually got a grant from Southeast Uplift to do all those translations, which was really rad. Uh, The money also got us um, to be able to pay and make zines as well. Uh, So folks can take those zines uh, if they are trying to use their EBT in the farmers market. um, And that comes in five languages.
0: I actually, um, printed the zine (laughs) and I made it, um, I went to the website where the gal who made your zines, um, is, and it gives you step-by-step on how to make a zine, which is super cool. I thought that was a great thing.
1: That's a really fun way to pass on information. I feel like, and you don't see it that often. It's really nice.
0: super nice. Uh,
1: um, You mentioned application process. So I wanted to ask, since a lot of our listeners are um, vendors, do you have any tips for a good farmer's market
2: application? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, beyond having a product that we don't have in the market, which mm-hmm. is pretty, that's pretty important. They're, they're definitely eye-catching, um, a unique product, or if we don't have a staple product for, for whatever reason, having that Um, is important, but I definitely think uh, the ingredient sourcing uh, can make someone stand out. We require our food artisans to source at least 25% of their raw ingredients directly from farmers. So going up and buying it from the farmer, not necessarily getting it through a distributor, but folks who have even higher percentage, that kind of stands out. Um, And uh, some markets definitely prioritize that because... You know, the, the market is farmer first. That's why a lot of them were created. And so being able to have all of our vendors support farmers is, is important for, for our mission.
0: So on your website, it says you're looking farm direct dairy products, Asian American Pacific Islander relevant produce, farm direct wine, cider and um, beer, salsa, beans and grains. Have you had yeah, any so luck with the, beans and grains? I don't know anyone who produces well, that as much locally. That's a tough one.
2: It, it is a tough one. And, and some of those more stable products are um harder to do at farmer's markets because yeah. if you're doing it on a small scale, they tend to be at a certain price point and folks are not necessarily used to paying, um, that that local farm price for something like dried beans or grains. But there, there are definitely farmers doing that right now. Um, the examples that you were just saying are some of those staple products that we wish that we could add to the market. Um, and we do have a couple applications, fingers crossed that it works out. Um, but beyond those, we will definitely this year be accepting more than just those products as well. Those were uh, just something to get the the ball rolling for folks.
0: So for the farm direct dairy products, I would recommend that you contact the two places, the Oregon cheese guild Mm, and do an announcement that you're looking for folks. And then also the Oregon dairy industries. Um, There is a meeting coming up in April, but there are a lot of small um, farms right now that are bottling milk. Mm -hmm. And there's one I talked to a couple of weeks ago in Tillamook that's, pouring out 225 gallons of milk a week because they don't have anywhere to sell it. Mm. So it would be cool if we could figure out a way to connect those types of folks to the farmer's market that want to have farm direct dairy products.
2: Yeah. So maybe if
0: you made a, if you had like an announcement and targeted specific groups um, and then had some kind of a, like an exception when you're trying to expand a part of the market where People haven't typically sold to markets, so they don't know that you're looking for those
2: products. Mm -hmm. And then
0: we could target through the groups that are um, actively engaged. So, like I said, we could send it out to the
2: Oregon Cheese Guild and people like that. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And it's
1: I, think, cheese. I think sometimes there's confusion among among vendors who apply that maybe they've applied to another market and they couldn't get into it. And so then they think that means they can't get into any of them, even though yeah. there are other neighborhoods or, or even whole different organizations. But sometimes people don't really understand that. So I think, um, you know, there's a little bit of disconnect there. But um, mm-hmm. but I think we can try to connect all these people together. So those are good. Those are good cheese resources. Sarah knows her dairy. She's she's an expert.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I heard there's a medal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that medal to, to prove metal. it. <laughs>
2: Everything back to that. Metal.
1: <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and talk about some fave things about the farmers market. We'll be right back.
0: Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard by providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, Lisa, tell us, what do you have a favorite product in your market? I mean, you've only been there for a couple of years, and I know you'll say, well, all of the products are my favorite product, but... Um if you could pick top 3 maybe. Oh yeah, you can't ask me that. Um <laughs> <laughs> How about it doesn't have to be vendor specific, but
1: what about fair, what yeah. about 3 things you would only buy from a farmers market?
2: There you go. Um let's see. We pretty much I mean we pretty much only get fruits and vegetables from the farmers market. Uh we get all of our eggs and all of our animal products uh, we get from the farmers market. Um, let's see, I, some specific things that are farmer's market, honestly, just the varieties of vegetables that you can get at the market, especially right now. And in the winter season, um, I have three different types of radishes in my, in my fridge right now, which is, I definitely think is special to markets where you wouldn't necessarily get that at all grocery stores. Um, we have a really great variety of mushrooms right now. Mm. Which I especially love. Um, and I uh, honestly, I'm not very good at cooking meat uh, in, oh. in college when you learn how to cook. I was vegan, and so I'm trying to still learn how to cook meat. so I, I love going up to a rancher and saying, hey, give me something that's kind of easy to cook and tell me how to do it and I'll, I'll do it. Uh, so I think I think that's definitely a, a special relationship that I have with our ranchers um, as that's well. That's
0: cool. For meats, I think the biggest trick is having a thermometer Mm -hmm. and then finding out for the cut what the core temperature needs to be and not being afraid to really check the temp. A lot of times people overcook meats and that's when they start to get a little chewy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I thought of another product. Um, cool. Sorry, now this whole episode, I'm just going to keep thinking about more. Of my um, but I love buying. Uh, I buy bones to make my own broth, oh. which has uh, been really amazing. And then uh, I've been buying chicken feet uh, that I, I use for broth, but also my dog eats them. Um, uh, that he gets one every morning.
0: Whoa! After you cook them,
2: or you just no, them just to still him, still frozen. Yeah, because yeah. it's. Um, Colleges. because it's mostly just college and yeah it's, it's safe for them to to eat that part wow
0: yeah i think that's
1: something that um it brings up a good point that i don't think people always think about for the farmers market is that there are lots of things that farmers offer that aren't just for people so like mm-hmm. you know the um because the farmers have you know their if they are a meat farmer of some kind they have all the different parts so you know i'm left next to tracy from um Reister's. they do lamb and so they sell both bones for people's dogs and so oft, you know every day they don't even have them out but people know that they have bones that they can buy for their dogs and sometimes people buy them for um doing yeah soups and things but but for the most part they have ones that they sell for dogs but uh, and then sometimes also you can get other other things from farmers like maybe something for your garden like some kind of offshoot of something they'll maybe have parrot tops that they just have down in a bucket. And I've been next to Winter's Farm and they'll do that. And people will come by and get them for their goats or for their chickens. So there's kinds of like all these secret little things that you can get for your animals there sometimes too, which is cool.
0: That's cool. Do you have goats in your yard now, Sarah? No,
1: no, I need, <laughs> I need goats Help in my make- yard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have so many blackberry bushes out I there.
0: Know, and you got a hill, so yeah, yeah. No. You go out there and yodel for them. I have a weed whacker. That's <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> well, um, Lisa, I have a, a question for you. And it's not to encourage people to break the rules of the farmer's market, but it is encourage them to follow them. Is there um, a rule that is most often broken by vendors? Ooh,
2: oh, by question. vendors? Yeah. I know you're going to say people. Um... That's my next one. <laughs> <laughs> Most often broke I mean honestly the tent weights uh it can be a big issue. Um we require 20 pounds per leg. Uh and I, I know they're so annoying to put in your car and then take out and put on and then take them back down and everything, but uh they are really important on for windy, safety, windy right? days. days. Yeah. yeah. Windy market days are very um stressful.
1: <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, so for, for vendors out there, please hear this that you you don't want to see a tent blow away it's the most terrifying thing because something that is there to kind of like protect you and offer shelter when Mm -hmm. the wind picks it up and carries it away people can get hurt Mm Scary. it's scary because it's like it is like um you know a house being taken away in a tornado like that's what it feels like all of a sudden you're like this isn't right and you know like wizard of oz stuff Mm -hmm. right and I've seen people try to tie like their table to the tents, mm. and then it takes all their product and and takes it with it and breaks everywhere. I saw a oh, poor pottery vendor one time at the Lake Goswiko Farmers Market lose all of her beautiful mm. pottery that she had made because she thought that if she tied her tent to it, it would hold it down, and it does not. So those tent <laughs> those tent weights are so important. And I I have even my weights are heavier than twenty five pounds they're like I made like my dad made big cement ones that like tie to each leg just because I had seen that happen so many times Mm -hmm. so
2: yeah yeah, that's follow that rule everybody vendors out there yeah and if you just have heavy weights then you just don't have to worry about it which is Mm -hmm. so nice unless it's just really that's a great tip yeah that is a good one and what is the the rule most often broken by shoppers you think (laughs) um we don't honestly have a ton of rules. Um I mean if you would have asked me last year or 2 years ago now I guess uh would have been, you know, masks or people mm-hmm. trying to sneak in when we couldn't uh let folks in, but maybe something along those lines if if I accidentally leave the back gate open, will be folks kind of sneaking in that way. One time someone parked in there, and we had to go find them. <laughs> um so I, I think uh Some things like that, because it's this pop-up space and doesn't have a very conventional, here's the open doors, Um, people get creative with how to actually get in the space.
1: Yeah, I figured it was people like parking where they're not
2: supposed to park,
1: but I don't know Mm. if you guys, do you have that in the Montebello market where there's like special parking on
2: market days or... No, not, not re- necessarily. Not really. it's, yeah. yeah, it's pretty much free parking in the neighborhoods, which is uh, which is nice.
1: Yeah,
0: that's I, think I that was, was thinking you were going to say the worst thing a shopper could do is forget their money. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, a lot of vendors sure. accept Apple Pay now. So Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah they good. don't
1: even really need it.
2: <laughs> I've definitely forgotten my wallet and had to ask a friend to get tokens. And then I've Venmoed them and, you know, yeah. we, we find workarounds.
1: Are um animals allowed at the Montevilla Farmer's Market? Can people bring their dogs? They
0: are, yeah.
2: yeah. Cool. We yeah, see a, a lot of dogs, which is Yeah, yeah.
0: good. Can you that's- tell us a little bit more about the EBT program? Because I think there's a lot of people who don't know about it. And you just mentioned tokens.
2: Yeah, so we accept EBT, um, formerly known as Food Stamps. Uh, so folks with... Their Oregon Trail card or any state uh, EBT card can come to our information booth. They swipe Mm -hmm. it and they take off money from their account and get tokens for it. So those tokens they can then use with the vendors. Um, And then at our market and most farmers markets in the state uh, also participate in an EBT matching program. So we'll match up to $20 that someone takes off their card. Uh, with doublet food bucks which is is really great uh and then Ooh. folks can use that those extra bucks to use on uh to buy fresh fruits and vegetables from the farms
0: so but if they have a token and they use it and they don't spend it all on one ex, um exchange they get
2: cash back so with the one dollar tokens work? no uh okay. the one dollar tokens you don't receive any change um, but those five dollar tokens uh yes you do receive cash change tokens can be purchased with, um, with a credit card or a check or folks who have EBT cash benefits, which is a little different from SNAP benefits, but we match both.
0: And you were talking about the double up food bucks and that's where if you get 20 bucks, you get 20 bucks. So you have Mm -hmm. $40 to spend. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. And
1: just a tip for vendors that are listening. Um, I, On my stand, I mean, I think I did this maybe my second year or so, but I just made um, a little sign with pictures of the tokens to say that I take them because um, for market shoppers, um, they can spend those EBT dollars only in certain stands. So uh, it either needs to be like fresh produce or... you know, different different markets have different rules and different tokens are accepted in different places. So I just have a picture of the ones that I'm allowed to accept. And then, um, you know, people don't, they can just see it and be like, oh, cool. I can use my, you know, tokens here. They don't have to ask because sometimes people don't want to ask. They just want to like come by their stuff and move on about their way. And so I yeah. think that has been really helpful to have that visual. That's thoughtful. Um, Yeah. And then and then some farm farm stands can take almost everything. So they can just have a little picture of all the different things that they can accept. And I think that if you do that and you have that visual aid, you're more likely for people to spend money at your booth um, that maybe they wouldn't otherwise because they think they can't.
0: Do you have any data, Lisa, for somebody that might be interested in having a market booth on what's the average sales per vendor in your market? Is there data like that?
2: There is data like that. Let me try to remember. Um, I think in December, uh, I did uh, from one day, the average sales was, I think it was around $700. Holy smokes. But this is large farms are also included in that. So yeah. a, a farm may have four stalls. Uh, yeah. So they would have maybe four times as much money as someone who has one stall. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's definitely a range from newer folks, uh, to those farmers who have been there for 15 years and have a large footprint.
0: That's cool.
1: Um, now that you are the executive director of the Montevilla market, do you have any big plans for change or any programs you want to implement? What are your market dreams?
2: Yeah. So right now our dreams um, are mostly going to be relying on grants that we're going to be applying to. Oh. We just uh, applied to one not too recently to try to um, uh, partnership uh, have a partnership with Apano and pass out market money. Um, we're also looking at uh, doing one in the future. We're going to be applying hopefully in May. Um, that will be uh, like a winter market promotion and be able to bring more events and uh, get more folks to winter markets. So yeah, so so a lot of grants and kind of that future planning right now. Um, my hours, I'm now part-time instead of full-time. So it's, uh, they're kind of being allocated right now and uh, we're still in our transition phase, definitely.
0: Well,
1: and the farmer's market, um, the Montevilla farmer's market didn't used to be year round, right? Mm-hmm. But it is now. Can we tell people the hours and what that looks like?
2: Yeah, so we, in our winter season, we're twice a month. Uh, It's the second and fourth Sunday of every month, January through April. So our next market uh, in February, it's February 12th. And then I think the 27th. And then I think it's March 12th and 27th from there. And then in May, we start back up with weekly. And this is 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 7700 Southeast Stark. So that's Stark and uh, 79th about.
1: Perfect. And what what made the um you guys make the change from being a part-time yearly market to going year round?
2: So, let's see. I was I started this job on October 11th, 2020, and I believe the decision to go year round was made on October 15th. So, I I kind of started and uh that was something that farmers had wanted and the board said that to me and they asked if I was willing to work those hours and wanted to kind of do that transition and we did but yeah I I believe the main the main reason was our farmers wanted that outlet and our customers wanted a place to be able to buy fresh food year-round
0: I have a question about this market spread um, mm-hmm. software that's it looks like it's online mm-hmm. Sarah Marshall do you use that yeah yeah whenever vendors apply to the market
1: for I Any of the Portland area farmers markets, that's what you use. Even like um, um, once a month market like Soviet Island, you still use that same software.
0: So, but it looks like I, if I wanted to have a market like at the Food Innovation Center, I could create an event with that, notify all the people in market spread in my zip code that there's a market coming up so that they would know to go and sign up. I don't, think I don't so. think so.
1: I think uh, they, they would have to go. Well, but what vendors do is they can go in and um, like, if I was like, Oh, I'm thinking of applying to markets this year, I can go in and a list of all the markets that have open applications come up and I can just apply to the ones that I want. And my information's pretty much already in there. I don't really have to enter new stuff except for that. each market will have like kind of specific questions you know, that's the only thing that really differs, but, but I have all my products added in there. So then I can just add them. It's, it's really easy.
0: Well, it's a great tool. I had no idea it existed. I'm glad to find out about it. And I'm thinking maybe it's something that I should have known about, like how long has this been in existence forever?
1: Not forever, because that's not how I applied when I first applied to farmers markets. I'm pretty sure it was like on a piece of paper, like physical paper. But But then, yeah. And then I I think online, but but it was everybody had their own systems. And then I would say maybe, I don't know, Lisa, what do you think? Like six years ago or something, maybe there was like a system?
2: Farm spread started... When oh, I don't know if they started, but Portland Farmers Market went to farm spread when I was still there, which yeah. was probably like twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um, and then most other markets in the area besides Portland Farmers Market and Montevilla, to the best of my knowledge, use Manage My Market, mm-hmm. which is a very similar software. Um, and the they've definitely been around for a lot longer, but I, I couldn't tell you
1: yeah uh, how long. Yeah, there are there are those couple different ones, but yeah, but it's it's really nice. I mean, it's nice for vendors. I'm sure it's much easier for market managers mm-hmm. to like just have everything all in one place. And, um, and I think now that it's been a little while, people are used to filling out the forms and figuring it out. Because I know at first it was hard sometimes for some of the farmers, like, you know, they had never done an application online before. So it was like a little bit of trying to help people figure it out. But
2: yeah, I so, will say you were saying the putting in your products was easy. It's less easy for a farm that has 150 different yeah. uh, vegetables. That that was definitely a little bit hard to yeah. try to get folks to do that. So yeah. there's
0: market spread and then farm
2: spread. Farm spread and market, they're the same thing. Yeah. They they started at farm spread and then tried to kind of rebrand to also include flea markets and, and whatnot, because um, it, it's a yeah, software a that that managers, they want managers to pay for. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Because it costs you $18 to get a profile.
2: It's per, it's either per vendor or uh, depends on how many stalls you have in your map. So for us, we actually have it where we don't necessarily pay anything, but our vendors, once they're accepted, they pay $18. But we, we don't oh. charge an application fee. So no no vendors have to pay anything to us. They just do a software fee if only they're accepted.
0: Okay. So it doesn't cost money to become part of the system. You just use it. And then if you get in, you pay help pay the fee for you to be recognized on the app. Yeah, that's the option okay. that we
2: do. There are other
0: options. Okay. Because I just type, typed in farmspread.com and I can see stuff in. Des Moines, Iowa, for instance, Mm -hmm. and all sorts of places. Hmm, That's cool. They're
2: doing it. Yeah. That's great. Uh,
1: how big is the team at the Montevilla market? How many people you have working there?
2: We just hired our fifth person. So we are now um executive director, and then we have an operations manager and a market coordinator and an info booth coordinator and those folks are all at market and then we also have a community engagement manager so yeah oh. when i started we had two and now we've grown to five <laughs> that's good that's a
1: good size that's still um manageable i was yeah. going to ask you about um you know to be a market manager which i've seen you do for a long time um and to be you know an executive, any of these positions within market managers, you're working with community, you're working with staff and, you know, you have to kind of approach every situation with grace and with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, problem solving skills. And so where does that come from for you? Cause I, I saw you do that so well at the Portland farmer's market. Um, what experience did you have to lead you to that point? Is it just from doing all of these farmer's markets?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I mean, I did event planning. I think it's just a customer service thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's being able, it's almost acting in a, in a way it's being able to have a, a calm demeanor for someone and just being approachable and uh, trying to figure out their problem where maybe this on my outside isn't necessarily how I'm feeling inside, but you, you do this to kind of get the job done. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I am someone like I make decisions very quickly, not always the 100% best decision, but uh, (laughs) it's something where, yeah, I'm just kind of that fast paced and get it done. So I, I, yeah, trying to listen to the person, get all the information and be able to get a solution as fast as possible is just how my brain has worked, I, I guess.
1: Yeah, it reminds being a market manager reminds me a lot of being a social worker, and you know, you are engaging with the public in this way. Where, of course, there's going to be problems that come up because you're just dealing with so many people. So sometimes that means somebody's angry. Sometimes it means, um, you know, someone needs to be de de escalated. Whatever it is, there's always something, and I think that a lot of those skills come into play for market managers that. That do in in that world, and so I always see you guys doing it, and um, and I just really appreciate your way of of interacting with the public. I think it's very nice.
2: <laughs> what you know, is the
0: amazing. hardest part? Okay, since you talked about managing people, what is the hardest part of managing the market for you? Hmm. Is it filling the market? Or I would say finding new vendors.
2: So. We, make, we have to make a lot of decisions and sometimes fast decisions, which is not necessarily most ideal. It's I, ideal to be a little bit more slow and thinking about all the outcomes, but we're making a lot of decisions that can theoretically affect a lot of people's businesses. Um, and everyone is pretty high emotion about that because it it's their small business and that's sometimes all of their money's been going into and all their time and Uh, so having this one person making a decision that can affect a lot of people is, um, it's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, uh, one of, one of the harder parts.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of weight on you guys because, um, you know, if a market needs to close for safety, that affects all the people that packed and prepped and picked all the Mm -hmm. food for that day. And, um, I know it's, I know it's hard to make those kinds of decisions because usually it's like weather involved. So it's, or, or, you know, during the COVID times, it's like health and safety involved. So it's very hard to make those kinds of things and you do have to do them really quickly. Like sometimes those conversations are had where it's like everybody's tents could blow away or the trees <laughs> could fall on, on everyone, you know? And so you have to make those decisions that are hard and no one's always going to be happy with the decision mm-hmm. you
0: that you make. But, um, yeah. How do you feel about if somebody else is having an event on the same day that you are, and they don't let you know
2: (laughs) in your Um, neighborhood, that's always tough. Yeah. I mean, I would say it is what it is. So you, you got to take it and, um, kind of, uh, roll with the punches a little bit, but, um, I always think it's best to collaborate so we can both kind of raise each other up, I think is really awesome. This last year, um, the Monteville Street Fair is on a Sunday. So we were able to cross promote and it turned out to be a really great day. And uh, we both, I think, brought people to each other's events, which I I think can be really beneficial. Um, But yeah, sometimes there's businesses that do things and you're like, why did you do that? But, uh, (laughs) you know, we're all just trying to make the best decisions for ourselves. And sometimes... Things kind of slip through the cracks. Do you
0: have music at your farmer's market? We
2: kind of. Uh, we, kind of. We, we have a couple of folks who come and busk pretty much every single market, but we do not have a main stage at this time. Uh, we actually have a um, small bite-sized Thursday market that just opened last year, um, and we plan on doing it again this year. It's just three months summer market, and we will have music there.
0: That's I was music really changes the atmosphere of the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really yeah,
2: nice. I was just going to say during uh, our COVID times, which I mean, we're, we're still there, but at the very beginning, especially during lockdown, uh, markets weren't allowed to have music mm-hmm. anymore. And we weren't allowed to have programs. And we went from this community event to uh, an essential service, um, which kind of, hit reset on a lot of those programs it was a time to be like we could step back and be like oh is that something that we really want to keep doing or that we want to put money into and it allowed us just to to rethink things I think especially with um there's some uh turnover also so I've I've never been at Monteville Farmer's Market while we had uh music there and um yeah it was just it was just a time where we can kind of, yeah, rethink like, okay, that money, could we be putting that into a different program or that space, could we be giving that to a, a vendor as well?
0: I don't know this question answer. So I'm going to ask, do farmers markets provide electricity to people or do they have to have different sources of power?
2: Um, it depends the power. On, the, on the site. Some markets do. We do have electricity that vendors can pay for. Mm. Um, some markets don't have any available at all. And then a couple of markets, I do believe, allow generators. Um, the generators are just kind of loud and stinky sometimes, but yeah, sometimes it's uh, it's required as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Lisa, we always like to ask people um, what they need from the community. So what does the Montevilla need from their community? What do you need from all of us?
2: I would love for people to like winter vegetables more and come and buy them. Uh, I, I think there is something that a lot of folks, or at least I, I did not grow up eating. Um, and it's a little intimidating seeing that celeriac or that black radish. And it's like, what do I do with that? But find recipes or just roast them, just roast them all. And they're all delicious. Um, and yeah, come come to markets even when it's really cold or really raining because we're still there. And the the farmers uh, still picked and are are sitting there and kind of relying on those sales outlets year-round is, is really important.
1: I think that's really great. And I, you know, as a vendor who takes the um, I call it the hard winter off, but um <laughs> I that's on the worst days, I try to go to the to the farmers markets mm-hmm. because it's like I know how emotional it can be to be standing there in the market in the cold and you you got all this stuff ready and you're still there and no one's there and it's just sad and so even to just have someone come around and chat and you know talk about produce and i was going to say something about winter vegetables i just attended a class yesterday with um diane morgan she's a, a local author and she wrote this wonderful cookbook that i think everyone that lives in portland should have it's called roots and it is about all root vegetables um, and how to cook them in very creative ways like ways you wouldn't normally think of and and it's perfect for people that live in Oregon um, during this time because she will teach you how to do everything with all those different kinds of radishes that you were talking mm-hmm. about, turnips, um, things like burdock root, It just any kind of th- root that grows in the ground. She has done years of research to teach you how to cook with it. So, um you could get that book and then you could go to the Montevilla market and buy all the things in it. <laughs> yeah, that's <it> sounds perfect.
0: <laughs> the perfect project for a winter market. <laughs> yeah, if you had a cooking stage, you could have her come and cook for everybody one one time during the winter.
2: Be fun. Yeah, maybe we we'll get that grant.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sarah Marshall does that too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lisa knows she
1: used to run the program. <laughs> the we'd, the we'd walk around the market together and shop is one of yeah. my favorite things. Hopefully someday that comes back to all the markets. Cause it really is like my favorite. I love chef in the market at any of the markets. I've done them all over even markets. I don't normally vend at, you know, it's really fun. Yeah.
2: And I, I will say I learned a lot of cooking by just being in charge of that program. So I had mm-hmm. to watch all of them. Yeah. And I do think I learned a lot.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a fun, fun um, experience for everybody, I think. So hopefully those come back in full force soon. All right. Well, unfortunately, ladies, it's time for us to end. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about the and Farmers Market. And I hope everybody goes to the market. I'm going to go. It's been great. Yeah, I'll be there too. We record Missonia and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a DM on our Instagram, i Marshall, and we'll be back next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye.
0: Bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10%